Zephaniah, Zephaniah chapter 3, just before Haggai and after Habakkuk. I'll be reading verses 8 through 20. If you're using one of the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1463. Makes it easy. All right, chapter 3, verse 8. Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord. Sorry, I still hear pages turning rapidly. Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord, until the day I rise up for plunder. My determination is to gather the nations to my assembly of kingdoms, to pour on them my indignation, all my fierce anger. All the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. For then I will restore to the peoples a pure language that they all may call on the name of the Lord to serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. In that day you shall not be shamed for any of your deeds in which you transgress against me, for I will take away them from your midst. For then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride. And you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people, and they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness and speak no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed their flocks and lie down, and no one shall make them afraid. Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away your judgments. He has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You shall see disaster no more. In that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Do not fear. Zion, let not your hands be weak. The Lord your God is in your midst. The Mighty One will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly who are among you to whom its reproach is a burden. Behold, at that time I will deal with all who afflict you. I will save the lame. And gather those who were driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. At that time I will bring you back. Even at the time I gather you. For I will give you fame and praise among all the peoples of the earth. When I return your captives before your eyes. Says the Lord. Dear Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this prophecy. And we pray that your um, power and spirit would be mighty upon Paul as he comes and brings your words. Lord, that you would anoint him with passion and fire and that our hearts would be lit by this prophecy, by your word, by your speaking to us. We are here to hear from you, Lord. So I pray that you would use your servant Paul to speak to us. So do speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. So how many of you uh, managed to 
flip easily to the book of Zephaniah. So the book of Zephaniah is uh, basically concerned for most of its contents with the day of the Lord and is, uh, is very, I suppose, negative because of that. Uh, it speaks with God's reproach coming upon uh, different places and uh, starting with Israel but reaching out throughout all of the, the world. And uh, I chose to include verse 8 in uh, this sermon to kind of uh, show what uh, kind of the, you know, what the, the most of the book, the first three chapters are about. So that's why I've included uh, verse 8 in this passage. Now, before I get into the sermon proper, I did um, promise Rachel that I would pray for Karen her sister, who's going in for a knee operation. When's that, Rachel? Tomorrow. St. Helena Hospital. Okay, so let's, let's do that. Let's pray for Karen. So, Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, bless Karen. Some of us know her, and uh, we know that she's one of yours, that she's a believer. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would be with her, that you bless her, give her peace and comfort, that everything would go uh, really well, and uh, uh, the operation would do exactly what it was meant to do. So bless her, I pray, and Rob, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we've got that one covered, eh? All right. So, what this passage does is it basically encapsulates, I keep hitting my hand against this thing, It encapsulates um, many of the themes that we've already looked at in the prophets concerning the kingdom. Now, yes, it is mainly concerned with Israel, but the nations are also included, which means that uh, lots of the things that we read about coming to pass, these good things in the kingdom not only happen in Israel, but as a result of happening in Israel, also go out to the rest of the world. And therefore, they're inclusive of what we can expect when we enter the kingdom of God. But first, let's deal with verse 8. So Zephaniah verse 8 of chapter 3. Therefore, wait for me, says the Lord, until I, the day I rise up for plunder... My determination is to gather the nations to to my assembly of kingdoms. What for? To pour upon them my indignation, all my fierce anger. All the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. That does not sound like a happy time. Um, For so long in us history... We, uh, God, as it were, has just let history play out. And all of the things that have happened, I'm not saying that he's got his hands off the wheel, but all the things that have happened have been often as a result of natural disasters. Yes, under the hand of God in some sense, but because of the curse, it's already on the, on the earth, yeah? 
all because of mismanagement, both in natural disasters and um, in affairs. We think about what Maui nowadays and how that's been handled. It's just absolutely atrocious. Criminal, really, what's gone on there. Um, he's allowed people of power to subjugate and to um, dominate people who were weaker. There's been, in this world, this age, so much that is against the will of God, so much that is against the word of God. Well, one day, God is going to pour upon those people who have manipulated and who have taken advantage of and have hurt other people. He's going to pour upon them his wrath. And he's going to do some spring cleaning in the earth. He is going to do some changes, make some big changes, both in the governments, both local governments and then uh, world governments all over the earth. And he's going to make some changes in what the world looks like. So that, um, you know, we like to go to places like the Grand Canyon and the Tetons and places like that, and they're wonderful to behold. But I think after the Lord's finished with it, after the second coming, you haven't seen anything yet. Okay? So there's going to be some real changes made so that the world reflects the glory of the one who is coming to reign. So yes, there will be a time when God's fierce anger will be poured out on the earth. That will be um, at the end of the tribulation and at the time of the second coming. Right, that's the Lord's indignation. We'll put that to one side and we'll look at the main emphasis here in this great passage from Zephaniah, because it is a really wonderful passage, one of my favorite passages in the Old Testament. This has to do with what God is going to do, what he's going to create when Christ comes back, okay? He's going to do what we are utterly failures at doing. He's going to unite people. He's going to change people. He's going to make a peaceable kingdom. He's going to uh, redirect people's hearts to love him and love one another. He's going to bring about peace, not just have it as a bumper sticker on a car. He's going to uh, bring about rejoicing in the world. So let's have a look at what he says here. Verse 9, For then I will restore to the peoples, this is all of the nations, a pure language. And the idea here is that people will be, you know, we're supposed to, to speak only that which edifies, aren't we? But we don't. But we don't. You know, sometimes we speak things which uh, are trivial and pointless. Sometimes we speak things which, are, you know, they're just not helpful or they're untimely. But many times we just speak, we just talk, and that's all it is, it's talk. 
You know, we don't talk to edify. We don't talk to a purpose to help and build somebody up. And uh, wouldn't it be wonderful to live in a world where the conversation that comes to us builds us up and the conversation that we give back to a person builds another person up? That's what God has ordained, a pure language. The idea is a unity of peoples. At the Tower of Babel, people, the language was messed up and people went their own way. And from that, of course, there are all kinds of jealousies and things that, that came up from that. Well, in the kingdom that's to come, God is going to change the language back, as it were. He's going to give them a pure language so that they stand shoulder to shoulder. It doesn't matter where you go on earth, you will stand shoulder to shoulder, as it were, in uh, camaraderie with those that you meet. That they may all call on the name of the Lord. Now, the Lord's going to be there in Jerusalem. But a person in China, a person in uh, Thailand, a person in Australia, a person in South America, they will still be able to call on the name of the Lord. I, I do wonder what that's going to be like. Jesus in Jerusalem as the King of Kings, we can call on him, as it were, from the uttermost parts of the earth, and he will hear us. And because all of our sins are taken away, and because... He acts there as our uh, present high priest. Um, the answer, I think, will, will come back so quickly, so immediately. It will be a wonder to behold. Calling on the name of the Lord, blessing him, worshipping him, to serve him with one accord. Now, to serve God... In this world means you're going to come up against a lot of uh, obstruction, a lot of pushback. You're going to come up against it from yourself. Because your flesh doesn't like serving God, likes serving self. You're going to come up against it from the devil, certainly, because he rules the world and he doesn't want anybody who's not his servant, you know, having a big influence in the world. And you're going to come up against it um, from the world itself, the, the world that's under the sway of the wicked one. Well, in the kingdom to come, that's all going to be turned over. We're going to serve God with one accord. There's going to be a, a wave, as it were, of worshipful service to God and to one another in this kingdom that's uh, going to be promised. From beyond the rivers of Ethiopia, my worshippers, the daughters of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. In that day you shall not be ashamed for any of your deeds in which you transgress against me. That is in Zephaniah's day and even today. But then I will take away from your midst those who rejoice in your pride, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. Oh, that God would act and take away from me my haughtiness. That God would 
change me completely so that I no longer want to serve myself. So that when uh, I'm thinking, I'm no longer the first person that I'm thinking about. And that he would change the world in such a way that there's no pride, there's no ambition, there's no vanity in those who rule over us. Well, that's promised in this passage. He's going to take those people away. There's no need, there's no place for pride and arrogance in the kingdom that's to come. Can you see that God's uh, actions here, that they are uh, immediate, they're active. God allows a lot of wickedness and evil and pride to just go forth and, and do its thing in our history, in our time. That's not going to be allowed after Jesus comes back. Jesus will act upon this to stop it. I think that's wonderful. And so, look at verse uh, verse 11 and following. In that day you shall not be ashamed of anything. God's going to take away the pride of people. And verse 12 says, I will leave in your midst a meek and humble people. Jesus promised that the meek would inherit the earth. And they haven't inherited the earth. He said that 2,000 years ago, and there's absolutely no sign that that's been fulfilled. And we can be uh, tempted to think that that never will be fulfilled. Because the world's just the world. and it's, it, 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 There's no place for the meek. There's no place for those who let others go before them. How different the kingdom's going to be. How different things are, are going to be when uh, he who is himself meek and humble will be reigning over the whole of the, of the world. And they shall trust in the name of the Lord. The remnant of Israel shall do no unrighteousness. Now, this idea of the remnant of Israel, how many of you have heard of this expression, the remnant of Israel? Put your hands up if you've heard of the remnant of Israel. Some of you have. This is a constant Old Testament theme. It's a theme that's a very important theme, and we must uh, we must keep it in mind when we're speaking about prophecy and we're speaking about the future. We know that Israel right now and the people that live in Israel, the Jews there, they are ungodly. They don't trust Jesus. They reject Messiah. Okay? In fact, many of them are atheists. And uh, we also know that You know, they're just like other nations of the world, doing underhand things and wicked things and 
plotting and scheming and doing the things that we do. But there is always a remnant that God has of his people. Right now, in the times of the church, there are Jews that get saved, recognize their Messiah, and are put into the church. But that's not the end of it. The end for Israel is not for Jews to get saved and put into the church, and that fulfills all all of the promises that God has to them in the Old Testament and in the covenants, because it doesn't. No, there is a time for Israel as a nation to exist as an independent nation in the kingdom of God to come and in eternity that fulfills those covenants. Not all Jews will be in that kingdom. Just as not all Jews recognized Jesus at the time of his first coming, not all Jews obeyed Moses at the time of Moses, not all Jews uh, followed the teaching of the prophets during the Old Testament times. But there has always been those that did, those that did fear God, those that did want to serve God. And they are part of the remnant of Israel. And so verse 13 says, The remnant of Israel shall in the future do no unrighteousness and speak no lies, nor shall a deceitful tongue be found in their mouth. For they shall feed their flocks and lie down and no one shall make them afraid. We've seen this theme before, haven't we? We've seen it in Micah. We've seen it in Isaiah. No one will make them afraid. That means Chris over there is going to be out of a job. Okay? He's going to be out of a job in the kingdom. All right? Because we'll be peacekeepers. We'll keep peace for ourselves and for others. We will make sure that there is peace and safety all around. There will be no need to watch our kids, to lock our doors, to uh, be concerned about going to this part of a city or this part of a nation because everywhere will be peaceable. Because of that, there is room to rejoice. And so verse 14 says this, Sing, O daughter of Zion. This is Israel. Shout, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. Why? Because the Lord has taken away your judgments and has cast out your enemy. The King of Israel, the Lord, this is Yahweh is in your midst. He's there. Right there. In person. You shall see disaster no more. No more calamity. No more trouble coming upon the people of Israel. There is opportunity, therefore, 
for singing, for rejoicing. Now, when Jesus came the first time, you don't see him rejoicing. And you don't see the people rejoicing in him. Well, some of them did. But the majority didn't. Not even many of the people that were, were uh, healed by him, you don't read that all of them followed him. Some of them just needed healing, they got healed, and then they went back to their lives. But when he was hung on a cross, there were people there that were rejoicing in that. There were people who were relieved that he was out of the way and that he was gone. There were people that once that had happened, they might have felt a little bad, the fact that he was gone, but it's like, okay, it's a new day. Let's just move on. There was certainly no rejoicing, though, in him, in who he was, in what he brought. But here, in this passage, I hope that you can see that Israel is rejoicing in him. He's rejoicing because Jesus is back. Jesus is back. And Jesus is in their midst and they are rejoicing now in him, in that fact. There's no more Pharisees and Sadducees and lawyers and Herodians and Romans and people who are against him. There are the meek and the humble that are there. They recognize who Jesus is and they recognize what Jesus has done for them. And they recognize where they are in this wonderful paradise that God has gifted to them in their son Jesus. And they recognize that they're safe. And they recognize that goodness only will come to them. And therefore they sing and they rejoice. Now, Paul says in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, that right now, we should rejoice. You know that passage? Rejoice, I say, and again I say rejoice. The Lord is at hand. And it's like, Paul, you said that 2,000 years ago, and, you know, he hasn't come yet. But there was still reason to rejoice And we have reason to rejoice now. Why? Because we are saved and we're part of the people that will go into that kingdom. Okay? So there is reason to rejoice now. But the rejoicing that's spoken about here, the singing that's spoken about here, is as a result of being in the kingdom. Of passing out of this world, this age, this sorrow, this Uh, trouble and strife, the suffering of these times and leaving it all behind and being in a place, being in a world where the Prince of Peace is governing. Then it's time to take a big, long, deep breath and exhale 
and know that you don't have to look over your shoulder and know that you don't have to tense yourself up. You don't have to have your um, senses, as it were, alerted to any trouble that might arise because it won't come your way. Rather, what will come your way is repeated opportunity to rejoice. I can't believe hardly that I'm in this world, I'm in this place where I can rejoice and I can be really me. Wherever I am sent, wherever I go, I'm happy. But not only Israel rejoices, and we'll read down here, but God rejoices too. Look at this. In that day it will be said to Jerusalem, do not fear, Zion, let not your your hands be weak. The Lord God in your midst, the mighty one, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. It's not just Israel that has cause to rejoice and sing and celebrate. But God will rejoice and celebrate with them, with his people. This is where the great contrast with the first coming of Christ really comes about, isn't it? You don't see Jesus rejoicing in the midst of Israel in his first coming. He's having a hard time of it. He's a man of sorrows and he's acquainted with grief. He doesn't have a place to put his head. If you're going to follow Jesus and his first coming, you better count the cost. Because it's a high cost. You have to be able to forsake everything in order to follow him. And that also means going to death. Because all of those that followed him, I think... To a man, I can't think of anyone who didn't die or was put to death, sorry, eventually because they were identified as a follower of Jesus. No time to rejoice. No time to be merry. That was Jesus at his first coming. Jesus is only, uh, we're only told that he rejoiced once in the Gospels. And that is where uh, he said, I thank you, Lord, that you have not revealed these things to the wise and the prudent, you know, the intellectuals and so on. But you've re- re- uh, revealed them to babes, even so it was good in your sight. That's the only time in the gospel that, that he rejoiced, in the fact that God has revealed his truth to uh, those people that were the least esteemed in society. But that's the only time that he rejoiced. Well, here, according to this passage, God will be rejoicing in the midst of his people. Right now, God rejoices in the midst of the angels when one person turns and repents. That's a wonderful thing. But wouldn't it be 
even better when God is rejoicing with us. That will be a time of rejoicing, won't it? So Israel rejoices, God rejoices. This will be a kingdom of joy. And what starts in Zion at the throne of the king will emanate out to all the earth. See? All the earth. And finally, this passage says that there will be a time when the promises to Israel will be fulfilled in such a way that Israel will be the head and not the tail, as it says in Deuteronomy. Look at me, uh, look with me at verse 18 and following. I will gather those who sorrow over the appointed assembly who are among you to whom it is a, pr- a reproach. Its reproach is a burden. This is at his time. There are people grieving. Behold, at that time in the future, I will deal with you, who, uh, with all who afflict you. I will save the lame. And gather those who were driven out. I will appoint them for praise and fame in every land where they were put to shame. Look, it's really difficult for us to um, to understand why people get such a rough deal. It's very hard to... Um, to read the accounts of people who just, you know, they have to eke out their lives and nobody seems to care and nobody seems to help them. But, and they live and they die and sometimes they die in misery. That's the reality. What about the answer to that? The answer to that is that There's a time, there's a kingdom coming when these people will be raised, resurrected. And these people will be given fame. What what was on the lips of Jesus nearly all the time? Those who will be first who were last. Those who were last will be first. We need to take that seriously, folks. It's upside-down kingdom that's coming, okay? Do you remember the uh, story in C.S. Lewis's book, The Great Divorce? I've used this before, this illustration, but in The Great Divorce, if you haven't read it, you need to read it. There's a scene there where these people who have, they kind of arrive at this, Land. They're on a bus ride, okay? And uh, they arrive at this land and they get out and the grass hurts their their feet. And everything's so bright and colorful and so on. They have these conversations with these people and they come to realize that they're in heaven, okay? These people have been bussed up from hell. (laughs) And they're very small and they can't really cope with heaven. It's just too overwhelming. 
You know, they thought that they were substantial and big and important, and they can't even really tread on the grass because they're so insubstantial in heaven. And yet there are these people who uh, are coming towards them, a big crowd of people who are coming towards them. They see these people getting uh, nearer and nearer. These people uh, uh, are solid people as opposed to them, yes? And they get nearer and nearer and they're rejoicing and there's somebody who is being lifted high on the, the shoulders of the crowd. And it's Sarah Smith. Now who's Sarah Smith? Sarah Smith stands for the nobody. Sarah Smith is the nobody who nobody ever took any notice of in this world but who God has given fame to in the world to come. Lewis saw that. Okay? It's not Billy Graham. It's not the celebrity pastors and the celebrity teachers of this world. It's Sarah Smith. God is going to make sure that those people who were not noticed, who were bypassed, who maybe had tough and difficult lives. Look, he sees. He sees. He's going to do something about it. He's not unjust. He's not forgetful. Serve him. You don't need to be known for it. Maybe people won't see it, but I promise you God sees it. Verse 20 says, at that time I will bring you back even at the time I gather you, for I will give you fame and praise, this is Israel, among all the peoples of the earth when I return your captives before your eyes, says the Lord. Uh, Whether you like it or not, there's a future for Israel and there will be nations, nation states, in the kingdom to come, and the most eminent state will be Israel. Make peace with it. Okay? Make peace with it. That's what I've just read here. It doesn't mean that there are the, the peoples are any treated any more special than you will be in the kingdom, but it does mean as a nation they will be given a special eminent place as God's special called people, okay? Israel right now, they're in rebellion. They're in rebellion. Israel to come, the remnant, they will be exalted. So, from the Lord's indignation in verse 8 through to the uh, the preeminence of Israel in verses 18 through 20, we see this wonderful prophecy of Zephaniah of this future kingdom. And in this future kingdom, there will be peace. There will be rejoicing, rejoicing, rejoicing. There will be uh, unity, purity in speech. When we call upon the name of the Lord, he'll be right there in Jerusalem. I think this passage really, uh, in some ways, epitomizes the, the difference 
between what's coming when Jesus comes back and what we have right now. What we have right now stinks. It's ungodly. It's, it does its own thing. It doesn't care. What's to come, though, is wonderful, truly wonderful. And I want you to be a part of it. You can be a part of this kingdom. You can enter this kingdom. This world. And it's the step that you have to take is a step of simple faith in Jesus Christ. You are a sinner. You are a rebel against God. You say, well, I don't go around you know, shaking my fist at God. Yeah, you go around ignoring God in his own world. You go around doing your own thing. Whether God would approve of it or not, you still do it. You need to be saved. If you are not saved, you need to be saved. Or the condemnation, the indignation will come upon you one day. Just as the promises of blessing and peace will come upon those who have trusted in Jesus Christ. Jesus came the first time to be rejected, to be spat upon, to be crucified. He was the king back then. It's just he was rejected. When he comes as the king the second time... Nobody's going to spit at him. He's going to come and he's going to be accepted in a world that he will transform. He can transform you. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved, the Bible says. Saved from your sins and saved to enter into the kingdom of God that is coming. Let's pray. Lord, there will be a time of rejoicing, and this time of rejoicing will not be a brief time when everybody stops from their labors and their difficulties to just uh, rejoice for a short period. This will be an ongoing world of rejoicing, a kingdom of love and peace. It's promised by you. It's promised to everyone that trusts Jesus right now. Lord, I pray that it will not be too long before that kingdom arrives. But whether it arrives in our lifetime or um, in years after, we know surely that it is coming. And we know surely that if we've trusted Jesus, we'll be there. We rejoice in that right now, Lord. And we thank you in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.